everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to garden professionals and gardeners from all walks of life, all growing a variety of different plants. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. If you have questions about something in your garden, please post it on our Facebook page. Maybe we can answer the question on the air. This morning, we are going to be talking low-maintenance gardening with Dan Cooper. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Kate. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, and your book is called Gardening from a Hammock. Um, and I think of low-maintenance gardening as something that everybody should do, um, not literally from a hammock, perhaps, rather than tell people what to do. Um, but is it really practical to have a low-maintenance garden that's actually got plants in it rather than just lawn that you mow? Well, that, that's exactly the point of the book. Gardening from a hammock is about low-maintenance gardening, and the idea is to allow you to have a garden that'll be beautiful and look wonderful, and yet you'll still have the time to sip a glass of wine or swing in the hammock. And I think that's a great idea. Um, I mean, I think there was a, a lawn commercial with somebody in a hammock um, a couple of years back, and I got the feeling that that was more sort of the chemical. Um, you know, you throw chemicals at, at the lawn, for instance, and all you have to do is, is mow it, but that's not quite what you're talking about, right? No, and in fact, one of the recommendations that a lot of the garden experts make these days is to get rid of your front lawn altogether and replace it with, uh, a flower garden with perennials and low-maintenance plants like sedum that don't require water or fertilizer, uh, don't need dividing, and uh, that way you don't have to mow your lawn, you're not polluting the uh, the air, and you don't have to water and waste water, and you don't have to do a lot of work in the garden to maintain it because the sedums basically look after themselves. So so this book is, is more about kind of um, picking, I guess, the right plants for your area um, that won't need um, a lot of water, I guess, if you're out in the in the, the far west side, um, the west coast, ra- rather than um, on in the Midwest, where maybe you don't get quite uh, such a drought. Is that right? Well, one of the keys is to, you're right, pick the right plant for your conditions. If you've got a lot of water, then you're going to pick plants that need uh, more water. If you're in Arizona and you've got a lot of drought, then you're going to want plants that can stand up to those drier conditions and not need a lot of fussing or coddling, don't need a lot of water. I I should clear something up right at the beginning. Uh, There's no such thing as a no-maintenance garden. That doesn't exist unless you hire a full-time gardener or you use plastic plants. Uh, What we're talking about really is a low-maintenance garden where, you know, you, you do a bit of weeding and a bit of watering and a bit of deadheading, but you're not constantly pulling out weeds or deadheading or watering or replacing plants that died. Gardening should be fun, so we don't want to make it a chore. And I I think everybody should have a seat in a garden where they can enjoy the garden. Um, But let's look at the the basics maybe of of gardening in general that leads to this, because you can't just sort of walk into a a house and say, okay, I'm going to make a a low-maintenance garden, I'm just going to pick the right plants, and there we go. What what would be the first step, really, to to getting it? Well, interestingly, what what we did in the book, we actually interviewed 10 sorry, 17 uh, very well-known and experienced garden experts. Some of them were designers, some of them were nurserymen, 
Uh, some of them were master gardeners. And they all pretty much said the same thing as the start of a garden. Basically, you have to start with good soil. And I'm talking about something like triple mix, for example. There's a, an old Chinese proverb that says, feed the soil, not the plant. So if your soil is healthy, then your plants will be healthy and they'll grow much, much better without the need for fertilizer and they won't be as prone to disease or insects. Yeah. So so how would you recommend maybe that people amend, I mean, there are so many different soil types and certainly when you're growing veggies, you tend to use raised beds if you've got sand or clay or anything in the middle. Um, but I guess for garden plants and things, you can't exactly put them in raised beds, or people tend to not put them in raised beds. Um, so, so what type of soil amendments and things would gen- generally um, help if you've got a sa- if you're on a sandpit or good old Georgia clay, which is good for bricks? Yeah, well, if you have clay, in fact, a raised bed is the right step. I have that here at my new garden in St. Catharines in Ontario. And that's exactly what I had to do. Rather than dig out two feet of hard, rock-hard clay, I put two feet of good triple mix on top of it. And then, as you say, amendments are really critical. If you have sand, then you can add lots of mulch. Mulching is so critical for the low-maintenance garden. It cuts down on the amount of weeding you have to do. It cuts down, in fact, 70% less water. If you add two inches of mulch, cedar mulch or grass clippings or uh, wood chips or whatever on top of your garden, cuts down on the amount of watering you have to do, the amount of weeding you have to do, and it keeps your soil healthy. Uh, the insects will love it. They'll keep your tilth, the uh, texture of your soil, really healthy and good, and it is so beneficial to the plants. It will add a lot of nutrients, and it keeps the, uh, the root run cool in the summer so the plants don't, the roots don't bake. And it will also help prevent um, frost heaving in the winter. Uh, If you've got a good thick layer of mulch, it's just really, really good and essential for a low-maintenance garden. And and if we ignore the lawn, uh, which we kind of figure is maybe the highest maintenance part of a garden, what what type of chores do most people have to spend on a garden that they can improve by going to a low-maintenance garden? Um, Is is it mainly watering that people have to do, or what what are the main things, chores that they're doing that you're trying to eliminate? Well, uh, let's start with the basics. Weeding, uh, deadheading of the plants, uh, watering is really critical. And I, I tell my clients, water once a week, not every day. Now, that depends on your soil conditions and the amount of rain you get. But if you water, like a lot of my clients were watering 20 minutes every day. And all that does is cause your plants to grow shallow roots. If you water once a week deeply, depending on your soil conditions, your plants will grow long, healthy roots. They'll reach down to get that water, and they'll be much, much better able to handle the drought conditions when they arrive in the summertime. Deadheading is another thing that a lot of people have to do. So we recommend in our book, go out and get plants that don't need deadheading. Instead of... um, Let's say the Shasta daisy, which you have to deadhead all the time to keep it blooming. Pick something like Russian sage or the geranium roseanne. That's a newer variety. You don't have to deadhead that, deadhead that one, and it blooms right through from June, right through until the snow falls or you get a frost in the fall. I think so that's it- really important. And a lot of plants, 
um, if you pick some of those fussy new cultivars, you have to fertilize them all the time, and that need, takes a lot of work. So we're saying pick native plants that don't need fertilizing. Pick plants that don't need dividing. If you've got irises, for example, I love irises, but you have to divide them every three years to get them to rebloom, right? So pick a plant like a rhododendron that doesn't need to be divided, and then you'll have a lot less work or drudgery or chores in your garden, and you can sit back in your hammock and enjoy it. And what, what about pruning? Um, because if you're, if you're talking about maybe shrubs like roses and things, I know they don't all need pruning every year, but there are some shrubs that need pruning just to, like, say, a Forsythia. That needs pruning to keep, keep in, in bounds, otherwise you're going to, going to be having mountains of it. Well, in fact, if you have a Forsythia and you are having to prune it, then perhaps it's the wrong plant for your site. Because I think they look a lot better when they're natural and just weeping over, uh, very graceful. But if it's crowding out uh, your walkway or other plants, then maybe it's the wrong plant. Um, in terms of pruning, I would recommend a lot of the junipers. Some of the, um, the dwarf junipers are slow-growing, something like the Hinoki cypress uh, or the compact Andorra juniper. They're only going to grow a few inches every year to a maximum of four or five feet. So if you cite them properly, you'll never have to prune them. You can just sit back and enjoy them. And and so I, I guess um, you, you decide on your design right at the start of how you, I guess, want to use the gar- garden if you want to be in a hammock. Um, but when we go into a, a, a store, would we automatically discount the annuals? We, we start with the peren- shrubs first and then perennials? Well, in terms of dollar value, perennials and shrubs are your best bet. That's true. However, I think there always is a place for some annuals in your garden. There's going to be holes. Uh, there's going to be temporary spots in your garden where the perennials haven't filled in yet. So perennials or annuals actually still have a, a place in the garden. But in terms of value for your money, perennials are your best bet. You're going to get a lot more value for your dollar if you're buying perennials. And just on that point, for example, here's another tip about low-maintenance gardening. A lot of people favor tulips. Well, tulips require a lot of work, at least up here in Canada. We have to replace them every three or four years because they peter out. And then, of course, you've got to fend off the squirrels and the raccoons and the groundhogs who eat them and the deer who eat them. So our recommendation is twofold. First of all, go with daffodils. Daffodils are uh, pest-resistant, and they don't need to be replaced. They will naturalize and just come back year after year and beautify your garden. And by the way, a lot of people get offended by the yellowing leaves of the daffodils as, as they're dying back. Well, and they tie those leaves up in a knot or they cut <laughs> them off. Well, that's the wrong thing to do. First of all, the knot looks ugly, but it also takes work. And we're trying to cut down on the chores. So instead of tying those leaves up in a knot or cutting them off, plant your daffodils underneath a large-leaved hosta or a, a grass and then in the spring, as the daffodil leaves are dying back, the leaves of the hosta will come out and hide those dying leaves, or the grass will come out and it will cover over those dying leaves, and you won't have to do as much work in your garden. And, you know, and, and I, I certainly think that, um, you know, when, when you've got the right plant, um, like, like a, a daffodil, I haven't grown um, tulips, actually, for a long time. Um, and, but don't, don't, there are some daffodils that take more cold than, uh, than others. Um, so you have to get the right sort of daffodil, right? To, uh, otherwise, you're still going to be replacing them. 
Yeah, um, perhaps. I mean, we don't have that problem up here. We <laughs> we have the right conditions for daffodils in Canada, perhaps. But, uh, you know, if you can't grow daffodils, then there's a lot of species tulips. Instead of the hybrid tulips, grow the species tulips, like Clusiana or, uh, um, what's the other one, Turkestanica. Those are tulips that don't need replacing every three or four years. And like the daffodils, they will naturalize spread and come back year after year, you'll get lots of value for your dollar. In fact, I think it's the Clusiana. You can get up to uh, 12 blooms on each stem, on each bulb. That you, so you're really getting a lot of value for your dollar, and it means less work in your garden in the springtime. Oh, I mean, that sounds like a wonderful addition to almost any garden if it gets that, that much. Um, but, you know, we, we have to go to, for our first commercial break here, Dan. Uh, but come back, everyone, and listen to Dan Cooper, and we're talking about getting your garden ready for gardening with from a hammock which is a great idea low maintenance gardening we will be back in just a moment do your children know where their food comes from at connectingfarmtofork.com there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in america stay nourished clothed and healthy activities food facts and farm visits help young people learn about america's hard-working farmers and have lots of fun doing it visit connectingfarmtofork.com today for a learning experience that'll really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com Brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com The best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find the archives on americaswebradio.com webpages. You can find them on iTunes, and now you can find them on Stitchers. This morning, we are talking with Dan Cooper about low-maintenance gardening. And although most gardens we established needed some attention, we're trying to make them as low-maintenance as possible so that you have time for the hammock and a glass of wine um, so we talked in general Dan uh, on the first segment and we talked um, so let's start about um, with some of the, the shrubs that are good we mentioned a rhododendron um, I guess azaleas are, are pretty low maintenance too and they, the reblooming ones are pretty good would that be right? I, I would think so if you have the right conditions and it's critical by the way with rhododendrons to prepare the soil properly um, I find a lot of people have trouble with rotos, and then I ask them how they planted them, and they say, well, we just stuck it in the ground. And You have to really, I think, amend the soil properly with um, lots of aeration. And they, uh, Well, they like moisture, they need good drainage, and they need aeration. So I always recommend a mixture of um, triple mix, um, peat moss, and pine bark nuggets to give that good drainage and aeration. And then I also say because they're shallow-rooted, cover the root area with a good thick layer of pine bark nuggets that will acidify the soil a little bit, but will also prevent the plant from drying out. And I've noticed, um, particularly when you go into um, sort of the big box stores, um, there there are different sorts of fertilizer. There's the holytone, which is a holly fertilizer. There's an azalea one. There's a tomato one. There's a a this one and a that that one. Um, Can't we just use a general fertilizer for everything? 
I'm not a big fan of chemical fertilizer, I, I have to admit. My preference would be to go organic. I mean, I specialize in shade and organic gardening, and I always recommend to my clients that they stick with organics. And, in fact, if you have, as I said earlier, prepared the soil properly and then consistently add mulch or a top dressing of compost to your garden, you will not need to fertilize as often. Secondly, if you have the right plants, some of our native plants, they don't need fertilizer. They can adapt to the soil conditions that you have in your area. Um, but the key, I think, is really adding that compost. And by the way, the latest uh, research says don't rototill the mulch or the compost into the soil. Just lay it on top in a nice thick layer of two to three inches and let the worms do the work for you while you sit back in your hammock and watch them go to town. That sounds like a good idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and mulch can be shredded leaves, for example. Here's a, a really important tip. A lot of people bag up their leaves and they throw it out for the city to come and collect it. Well, don't do that. Keep those leaves. That's a valuable resource, and it's free fertilizer, free organic fertilizer without going to chemicals. You can shred those leaves, you can compost them, and then put them back onto your garden, and it'll make your plants a lot healthier. And in fact, that's what I do. Uh, you know, you go round and round on a or the garden tractor or, or even a, a hand mower, and you just kind of chop all the leaves off. I tend to put them mainly on the the vegetable beds rather than the um, the flower beds. I, th- I don't think I've got enough to do both, so the veggies always get priority. Yeah, and you're and you're right. I mean, I, I've taken my lawnmower and I've gone over up to six to eight inches of of leaves on my lawn and just mowed them in. And in fact, they just break down and they fertilize your lawn as well. Yeah, because you don't you don't get all all of them, and I guess what's left. I mean, as long as it's not a thick layer, the lawns can benefit from it as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess um, what apart from the rhodes and the azaleas, what what other good shrubs would you maybe, maybe three or four shrubs? Because shrubs are kind of the furniture in a garden, so to speak. So what what would be some good shrubs to um, to look for? Well, several of the ones that I like, um, one of them is Caria japonica, uh, the Japanese Caria. It has a nice weeping, arching form. It has uh, green stems that provide interest in the spring and the fall and the winter, even when there are no flowers on it. There's a double-blooming variety and there's a single-blooming variety, uh, depending on what kind of garden you like. If you, if you have a more natural garden, the uh, single-blooming variety looks better. If it's a little bit more formal, the double-blooming variety might look nice. Um, and then, as I said, the green stems provide interest all year long. And if we get lots of rain, it will actually rebloom later in the summer, in the early fall. So you get two blooms out of that single shrub. And it's really quite worthwhile. Now, what's one of your favorites? Oh, I, I love the Chiaria. I mean, I, I, that, that one's in my garden. And the deer don't, don't bother with it particularly. Um, and I, I know we're, we're in a, a great area here where I can actually grow magnolias. Oh, lovely. Uh, um, I think we might be at the northern end. The crepe myrtles, not some, well, I mean, they, they grow. I'm not so fond of those. Those are a little more high maintenance because if you've got them too shady, they tend to get uh, funguses and things. Yeah. Well, we actually grow um, magnolias up here in Canada. We're at the northern edge of the uh, Carolinian forest zone, and uh, we have very, very lovely um, magnolias up here. Another uh, newer shrub that I like is the dwarf lilac, the syringa bloomerang. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Oh, yes. Bloomerang, yeah, and it, it actually reblooms. 
You don't have to do a lot of work for it. It's a nice, compact lilac. You don't have to prune it. It's only about four to five feet high, and it's a repeat-blooming lilac with fragrant purple pink flowers in spring and fall. So it's um, low-maintenance and quite lovely. And, and I guess another one of my, my favorites actually are the witch hazels. Um, oh, yes. Because, yes. you know, they, they have that beautiful color in the middle of winter when you really need it. Yeah. And, and then they've got beautiful fall color. Um, but another one that's a much smaller one, and I don't know whether, whether it's hardy where you are, I think it's at least a, a four, is the Dutzias. Oh, yes, yeah. Some of them are hardy here. Yeah. yeah one of, another one of my favorites, and again, because it's low maintenance and it's a native plant as well, is the um, Father Gilla. Oh, uh, The yes. dwarf Father Gilla. It has bottle brush white blooms on the end of its stems. It blooms in the spring. It's only about four to five feet high, and it's a natural round shrub, so it doesn't need any pruning. And in the fall, it has gorgeous uh, red, uh, yellow, and orange fall-colored leaves, sometimes all on the same plant at the same time. It's just stunning in the fall. Uh, I've seen it underplanted with yellow uh, tulips, uh, because the Father Gilla blooms, they're white like a bottle brush, but at the tip of it is yellow, and underplanted with the yellow tulips, you get a nice color echo of the yellow, and it's really quite dramatic. Um, there's also a, a, a bluish-leaved Father Gilla that's quite nice, very attractive in the garden, very well-behaved, and both of them are low-maintenance. Oh, wow. And, and what about perennials? Um, we, we mentioned um, sedum, but many years ago when I started growing perennials, um, because they come back each year, um, that to me is a low-maintenance feature rather than the annuals, which you have to keep planting and planting and planting to have a good display. Correct, yeah. One of my favorite perennials is, as I mentioned earlier, the geranium roseanne, uh, which has lovely uh, violet or purple uh, flowers on it. You don't have to deadhead it. It will just uh, keep blooming from June right through until the frost. Low maintenance. You don't have to do anything, no fertilizing, nothing. Another one is geranium macrorhizum, or the big root geranium. It's slug resistant, it's deer resistant, and it's super drought tolerant. It has a large root that stores the, the water, and you can under, you can plant that under uh, a maple tree, even a Norway maple, and it will hold its own and keep, uh, healthy and happy even though it's competing with the roots of the norway maples oh wow and yeah. almost anything that can do that <laughs> would be worth <laughs> and it's it not, it's not a weed either it's a very attractive <laughs> plant and it's deer resistant yeah. lovely flowers there's a pink variety there's a magenta variety and a white uh, flowered variety and there's even uh, a variegated leaf variety of uh, the geranium macrorhizum or big root geranium although i'm not partic- particularly fond of uh variegated leaf plants um but uh, it you know depending on your conditions it might look really good another drought tolerant plant that's really really quite hardy under even norway maples is the barren wart or the epimediums uh very drought tolerant low growing spreading uh evergreen semi-evergreen plants that are perennials my favorite is rubrum which um, has a nice flower on it and then the leaves uh, turn a nice uh, red color in the fall 
Yeah. Very, very attractive plants. Mm. And there's several varieties of them that uh, are quite hardy. And as I said, they're all drought tolerant and can hold their own even underneath a maple tree. Um, now, we talked a little about annuals. Um, and when I talk annuals, I usually think of petunias and begonias and things like that that you buy by the flats and take forever. The one sort that I do quite like are the what they call the hardy annuals, the cosmos and things like that that kind of self-seed themselves. So they kind of, once you've got them started, they seem to do, do all by themselves. Yeah, um, not all that familiar with those. Um what what are some of your other favorites that you like? And lupins. Um, you know, they, they just kind of, they, they self-seed themselves a little bit. They come up next year um, from and produce flowers all summer long. I mean, what more could you ask from a, a technically an annual? Yeah, and, and that, that's a key, isn't it? There aren't very many perennials that bloom for the whole season other than, for example, the geranium roseanne. So if you want that kind of a long season of bloom, you often have to go with the annuals. No, what, what, no, the epimediums don't bloom throughout, although they do have attractive foliage. But in terms of plants to get benefit of um, uh, color and interest in your garden all season long, without flowers, you can go with the Japanese painted fern, for example, which is a lovely, lovely, very attractive fern, very graceful, provides color and interest in the shade garden all season long. Another fern is the maidenhair fern, very delicate but tough as nails, doesn't need a lot of maintenance. Uh, so you get, even without flowers, you still get lots of color and interest uh, all season long in your garden. Oh, yes. Um, and I, I think for ferns, um, particularly with, with peonies and things, um, I, I know when we were in my last location, this lady had got um, some beautiful white peonies, and then she had the, the ferns coming up through them. Which oh, yeah. made which made a lovely low maintenance gar- garden for her because it was kind of on a, a shady um, a sh- shady area of the front. It was formal looking, um, and then then uh, but it was casual too. Yeah, what one of the top ten perennials that has have been selected in our book are the Bruneras. I don't know if you know them. Um, they they have lovely heart shaped leaves with silver uh, uh, leaf color with dark green veins. And they have a fuzzy undercoating on the, on the underside of the leaf that, that is distasteful to the slugs. So they don't get chewed up by the slugs like some of the hostas do. Oops. And they're also deer resistant. Oh, almost uh, anything that's deer resistant is, is great. Uh, but you know, we need to go for another quick commercial break here. But come back everyone and listen to more about low maintenance gardening with Dan Cooper on the Master Garden Hour. We will be right back. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is Tracy Pearson with Prissy Tomboy. Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time as I interview special guests that will inspire adventure and fitness for females. 
This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Listening to the Master Gardener Hour, I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking gardening from the hammock with Dan Cooper, and we're talking about low maintenance gardening. And we covered some of the plants in the last segment, um, but the, we, we were talking in the break. Um, there, there was one that you were trying to remember, and I guess it was the Russian sage, which is a, a lovely blue one that goes pretty much all through the summer and you can that low maintenance because i've seen it on um medians and things over the country that's right it's drought tolerant uh you don't have to deadhead the flowers it just keeps blooming and blooming and blooming and it's really a magnet for the bees and the butterflies so if you if you have if you want to have a native garden you want to attract those bees and butterflies to your garden it's a really nice plant to have it's tall it has nice uh, stems tall stems on it with the flowers in spikes at the top, and they just wave in the breeze and provide a little bit of drama and interest in your garden. You can see through it. You can see through to the other plants in your garden. And there's a newer variety called filigran that has even lacier cut leaves than the common Russian sage variety, uh, and it's got the same uh, scented leaves, nice texture, tall stems with those spiky purple flowers on top, a really nice a perennial for your garden and again very low maintenance oh wow yeah and and th- th- those are great great plants um but let's talk to um a little about designing um the low maintenance garden um it's fine having plants but if you put them in the the wrong place um it becomes a high maintenance in and of itself um and but you can go from kind of a, a formal landscape uh, which is high maintenance down to gravel uh, but there's a kind of a sliding scale whereabouts on a low maintenance or on that scale would be creating the low maintenance landscape between the gravel and the formal well let, let's let's start with with the beginning i think when you're talking about designing a garden the key really is designing it and by that i mean starting out with a design or a plan a lot of people rush off to the nursery in spring and they buy all the, the lovely plants that they see in bloom. Uh-huh. And in fact, that's what the nurseries are counting on. Seventy percent of the perennials that are sold in nurseries are sold when they're in bloom. So you buy all those wonderful plants, and then you go home and you stick them in your garden. First of all, they might not be right for your garden conditions, so they're going to end up dying. Secondly, uh, the next year, you're going to have a wonderful garden in May or June, whenever your season starts. And then in July, August, September, October, you've got nothing in bloom because you didn't plan your garden. So I think the key is to start with a design or a plan before you go out shopping. Don't go out and buy on impulse. That's the wrong thing to do. So start with a design, and then you're going to have a nice, lovely garden that will have color and interest throughout the summer, and you'll have healthy, happy plants as well. But isn't that part of the fun of gardening the impulse buying (laughs) (laughs) well we all do it don't we (laughs) we all do that um and then you you know you get home with the plant and you walk around your garden with the pot in your hand you try to find a place to squeeze it in don't you and then it ends up dying because you didn't have the right conditions for it Uh, it's fun to do but it may not be the right uh Smaller thing to do. Yeah, it and, might and, not I, be wise. yeah, and I guess what you really need to do is look at the plant tag 
um, and assuming that it's got the right tag on it, the plant tag can actually t- tell you a fair bit about its, what it's going to need. That's true. And talk to the people in the nursery where you're buying as well. Go to a reputable nursery with knowledgeable staff, and they can help you pick the right plants for your garden conditions. That's really, really important. Um, and then when you're designing your, your garden, think about things like how you're going to use it. Uh, are you going to sit in your garden? Do you want to have a viewpoint from your house? Do you want to have a viewpoint from that garden bench that you're going to design for your garden? Think about how you're going to use it. Does the, the postman or woman walk through your garden to get to your mailbox? If you've got a garden on your front lawn and get rid of that lawn and put a garden in, design a pathway for the delivery person, the newspaper person, for the mail person to walk through your garden so they're not going to trample your flowers. Think about how you're going to use it and how other people are going to use it and design your garden accordingly. Yeah, and uh, I I guess... um there are some parts of a, a landscape, maybe um, apart from maybe the lawn, um, that, that are more hard work than others. Um, and I, I guess if you get the right plant in there, it does it does help. But should we maybe, um, assuming we've got the right sunlight, um, should we maybe ga- gather plants together that are going to maybe be deal with the, the, the drought situations a little better and those that maybe want pampering with a little bit more water a little more often? A good point. That's a very good point. Um, cluster your plants that have like needs together. If you've got um, a shade garden, for example, don't try to stick uh, an English cottage sun garden plant in there. Put all of your shade plants in the same area. All of the plants that need the same watering uh, amount of water so that you can, you're not dragging the hose and running all over the garden to different places. You can simply and easily water the plants that need it. And in the sun, drought-tolerant plants that don't need watering, you can just leave them out in the sun um, so that they all have the same growing needs and conditions, and you'll have a lot less work to do. You won't be running around in the garden. And, and what about um, containers? Um, can they be low-maintenance as well? Um, and how would we do, deal with those if we've got those in a garden? Well, in fact, they can be. Um, there's a couple of ideas. First of all, if you're going to use containers, start with the largest possible container that you can handle. That will dry out a lot less quickly. And then use a mixture of uh, a specialized container mixture. There can be uh, different uh, components in the soil, the potting mix that you use, that will absorb moisture and not dry out as quickly. There are even gels that you can put in the soil that will absorb the water and then slowly release it over time. You can use coir, coconut coir, or peat moss that will help retain the moisture in your container plants longer. You can also use um, a tufa uh, or, you know, that volcanic stone uh-huh. that uh, a lot of people use for rock garden containers. So you can plant in those containers, plants that are drought-tolerant, alpines, for example, that only need some moisture in the, in the spring, and then they don't need a lot of moisture thereafter. And you can cover that with um, a nice layer of gravel mulch that will prevent the soil from baking and drying out as quickly. So, again, if you pick the right plants for your containers 
and for the conditions where you're going to place your container, you can have a lovely garden without a lot of maintenance. And, and I guess if, you, if it's just one or two containers, you can just add water to them as they, as they need it. Um, yep. And you can even put drip irrigation in containers, by the way. Oh, yes. Uh, let's say you're going away for a summer vacation and you're worried about your containers drying out. There's all kinds of really interesting, neat, uh, inexpensive drip irrigation systems that you can buy, attach it to a timer, and then while you're away, the timer will water your containers as needed. Yeah. And um, you can use that for the whole garden, oh, in fact. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I think to be a true low-maintenance garden, if we wanted to sit in a hammock, I mean, I'm fond of putting sort of um, chairs around the place, but one of the prob- problems I find is that you always need some work to do in a garden. Um, how, so how do we um, retrain ourselves maybe to be able to relax and ignore the, the imminent to-do list out there? Well, that, that's, that's another good point that you're making. I mean, when we're talking about low-maintenance gardening, I guess there's a range between the lazy gardener and the low-maintenance gardener, and somewhere in between you have to sit back and say, if I want to be a low-maintenance gardener, if I want to have a low-maintenance gardener, I have to accept less than perfection. If you're striving for perfection, you're never going to find time for the hammock. <laughs> so, you know, accept a few weeds. Instead of pulling out weeds constantly, maybe do 20 minutes every three days or so, and then take your glass of wine and walk through the garden and actually enjoy your garden. Enjoy the blooms. Enjoy the scents. And take a sip of wine and relax. Don't strive for perfection. I read recently where uh, one of the master gardeners up here in Canada said, "Step if you, if you see a problem in your garden, uh, a weed or some rabbits have chewed on some leaves or a, a, a cut leaf uh, a bee, a leaf cutter bee has uh, taken a chunk out of one of the leaves, step back about 15 feet. And if you can't see it, then ignore it. Oh, that's a great philosophy. <laughs> relax and enjoy your garden. You don't need to be a perfectionist. And, and I think walking around a garden every morning um, is, is a way of catching maybe some of those um, early um, prob- problems, particularly in the veggie garden. But you, you and I would imagine, um, I mean, it's a lot easier to kill maybe one plant that's got a few aphids on it to kill those aphids rather than... Um, Wait, wait for it to spread to half the garden. That's true. And, and, you know, that's that's a good point. Just, you know, early in the morning when it's cooler, just take a stroll through your garden. You don't have to do everything. Maybe spend 20 minutes or half an hour and just pick away at some of the flowers that need uh, adjusting or deadheading. Take a few slugs off. Um, by the way, um, slugs are a real problem up here, and there's a lot of natural remedies for slugs, but they're all messy and take too much work. The easiest thing to do for slugs is go out during a, a, a light rain shower or in the morning after rain and just pick them off by hand and drop them into a soapy bucket. Uh, and if you don't like that, if, you, if that's too slimy and you don't want to squish them or whatever, um, then pick slug-resistant varieties of hostas that require less work. Hostas with thick textured leaves or with um, a waxy coating on the surface are less are less susceptible to slug damage. And as I mentioned, the Bruneras uh, earlier, lovely gold, uh, silver leaf plant for the shade, um, they're naturally slug resistant. So if you put those in your garden, you won't have to do as much work. And when you're walking around in the morning, you can just enjoy your garden instead of worrying about 
this lung damage. And are they deer resistant as well? They are. Wow. They are, in fact, yeah, the Bruners. Now, deer will eat just about anything if they're really, really hungry. But um, Bruners and the geranium macrorhizums that I mentioned earlier uh, are naturally more deer resistant. Because, because that's something that, uh, I, I guess if you see deer in the garden, um, I mean, to, in the middle of winter, they look beautiful. But then when they're munching, going through and slowly munching on your perennials or your, your shrubs as you, as they go, go around, it gets rather frustrating, which is quite, quite the opposite of being low maintenance because you, you're involved in the garden. Yeah. I, I actually did a lot of research on, uh, on, uh, deer repellents. And I tried everything from ivory soap to hanging shiny DVDs in the shrubs to ward them off. Uh, even tried something like coyote urine. Don't ask me how they collect it, but it's really, really smelly. Um, but I found that something, first of all, picking deer-resistant plants is, is a good start. But uh, something as simple as spraying egg whites on your leaves, it bakes onto the surface of the leaves. Uh, and believe it or not, the deer do not like the taste of it. They'll take a little nibble and they'll go, oh, I'm going to try something else. Very, very simple remedy for keeping the deer away. Oh, that, that sounds like an interesting one. Any, anyway, we need to take our final commercial break here, Dan. Um, but come back, everyone, and listen to more about uh, low-maintenance low gardening and gardening from a hammock with Dan Cooper. And we will be right back. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's WebRadio.com. The best in chat radio designed just for you. you're enjoying the Master Garden Hour this morning. We have been talking about gardening from a hammock with Dan Cooper and uh, and the book is all about how to have a great garden that's low maintenance. Um, and Dan, how is the book organized? Um, I believe you took different real gardeners to, to help you with this. Right. Uh, in fact, we interviewed 17 different garden experts. Some of them are garden designers, some of them are master gardeners, some of them are uh, nurserymen, and we asked them to pick their favorite low-maintenance plants for sun and shade and then tell us why they enjoyed them and how they used them in the garden and why they thought they were low-maintenance. So it was quite an interesting process, and they all had lots of tips on how to create a low-maintenance garden, and they all had lots of lovely plants. In fact, uh, the book contains about 300 plants that these experts have selected and they're all low maintenance. And, and they're all um, hardy up to zone two and, and down to zone eight or something? 
Uh, between zone two and nine, um, in fact, it depends. And, and we list the zones in the book so that when you when you you look at the book, you can tell whether the plant will be hardy in your area or not. And it also tells you uh, what kind of growing conditions it likes, how big it gets, uh, what color the flowers are, and whether it likes sun or shade. And and so um, the the gardeners are on this. Um, did did they sort of have low maintenance gardens themselves? Or were they aiming towards that? Yeah, a lot of them did. I mean, as an example, one of the uh, experts we interviewed is Paul Zammett. He's the director of horticulture at the Toronto Botanical Garden. And he probably works, you know, from 7 in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. So he doesn't have a lot of time in his own garden. He has to have a low-maintenance garden. Uh, In fact, I can't ever see him in a hammock. He's just so busy. He runs all the time. So a lot of the plants that he picked and the techniques that he uses in his garden are for a low maintenance garden and and are there pictures of all these um of most of these gardens so that people can maybe visualize the type of garden that that they're they're trying to look at yeah we divided the book into the chapters one chapter for each of the garden experts and we show a general picture of the garden and the types of plants in it and then throughout the book there are pictures of the 300 plants uh, in each chapter uh, with a description of it and why it's low maintenance. And at the back of the book, we have something called the Botanical Reference Guide, which lists all of the 300 plants and tells you more about them, and each plant has a picture attached to it. Some of the pit- pictures are quite gorgeous. There's a Caryopteris uh, summer sorbet, uh, the bluebeard. It uh, has lovely gold and green leaves, and in an early summer, it's topped with these bright blue flowers, a lovely contrast between the blue flowers and the golden leaves, and there's a lovely picture of that in the book. And so so what type of gardens did these people have? Were they basically kind of perennial border-type type things or um, with not much grass in them, or um, what, did they vary in style as well? Quite a variety in style. Uh, one of the gardeners is um, uh, Frank Kershaw. He has a small city garden, very low maintenance, and he's very busy. He's a garden lecturer. He teaches at uh, a college up here, and he does a lot of lectures. And he, for example, covered his garden beds with uh, a, a layer of gravel mulch. He says, I don't have time to weed. So he uses gravel mulch to cut down on the weeds and the watering, and that makes it a lot easier for him to look after his garden. Uh, another one uh, is Martin Galloway, and he runs a nursery. He specializes in sedum, and so once he gets them going, he doesn't water them at all. He says, get rid of your lawn and plant 20 different varieties of sedum in large flowing swaths of color, and as they fill in, they'll choke out the weeds, and then you won't have to do any weeding. You don't have to water them because they're sedum. You don't have to fertilize, and you never have to mow again. So quite a different. Another one of our gardeners is a master gardener, uh, and she specializes in container gardening. So she uses tufa gardens and grows alpine plants in a rock garden, a scree garden, and then alpine plants in her tufa containers. That's Katie Anderson, a master gardener here in Toronto. Wow. And I believe you're a, you're a master gardener too. Is that right? I'm a master gardener. I've been a master gardener for 20 years now. I started gardening when I was a young lad, helping my mother in her garden when I was just a, a boy, and I just fell in love with gardening, and I've been a master gardener for 20 years and just love it. And so do you go out and, and educate um, the fellows in Tor- Toronto about how to do low-maintenance gardens? 
Yeah, as master gardeners here in Canada, we have to do 30 hours of volunteer work, educating the public, going out and doing talks to garden groups, local garden clubs. Uh, we advise schools on how to convert that old paved lot, how to convert that into a wonderful garden where the kids can go out and run around and enjoy the, uh, the plants and the shrubs and the trees. So we do a lot of consultations and a lot of educating, and we have an information line where we answer uh, callers' questions on the phone, and we also do a lot on the Internet now. We've got a website where people can go and, and get their questions answered, and we go to um, lots of shows and trade shows where we can uh, promote uh, gardening to the public. Okay, um, and, and you've got a, a, a blog or, or website called uh, Gardening from a Hammock, is that right? Yes, in fact, if people are interested in the book or if they want to know more about low-maintenance gardening, they can go to uh, gardeningfromahammock.com, that's all one word, and our book is available at uh, amazon.com or uh, there's some selected nurseries and uh, stores like Lee Valley Tools where you can order it online or you can order it through our own website, gardeningfromahammock.com. And do, when, when you do your talks, do you sometimes take your books with you to sell? Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, that's quite a good way of um, promoting the book and uh, sharing my knowledge and interest in low-maintenance gardening. A lot of people come out, come out to, uh, to the talk and then afterwards they'll buy a book and it's... Uh, it's a great way of spreading the word about low-maintenance gardening. And I think on, on the site as well, it, there's a drop-down list um, for all the gardeners. Is that right? It does. So if you want to learn more about the individual garden experts who are featured in their book and get a bit of background on them, uh, they're all on the website. You can click on the gardeners, gardeners and uh, find out more about them and their style of gardening. And, and we've just got a, a couple of minutes left here, Dan. Um, so if somebody wants a low-maintenance garden, they're, going to, they're, they're in the planning stages because they're in the snow belt. Um, what would be maybe the three main things that they should be thinking about um, to, to start, start that low-maintenance garden? What are the key, three key things they should be looking at? Well, I don't know what the three key things are, but I know a fun thing to do in the wintertime is to look at your garden magazines <laughs> and dream. And when you're looking at those magazines, you'll see lovely pictures, and you can start to plan your garden by thinking about your garden, even though it's underneath the snow right now. Think about what you, what you want to do, what you want the garden design to look like. Take a look at pictures of your garden from previous years and think about where the holes or the gaps are. Think about where the problem areas are. So you've got pictures from the previous year. It's going to make you feel all warm and fuzzy. You're going to think, oh, man, spring is coming. We can start thinking about gardening. And start planning your garden right now. Do that design that I talked about earlier. Look at your garden books, your garden magazines, and start doing research on appropriate plants for your garden setting. And then when spring comes, you're all ready to rock and roll. You can get out there and find the right plants for your garden. And, and would it be better to go to the local nursery rather than uh, order online for plants? I think local nurseries always have the best information for your conditions in your area, and hopefully they're going to have plants that were grown in your area. I know that's the case here where, where I am. There's several local nurseries that specialize in plants that are suited to our environment and to our conditions, and that way... You're going to get plants that are healthier because they've been grown in your zone, and you're going to get plants that are suited to your garden conditions. And as I said earlier, talk to the nurserymen and find out 
a little bit more about the plant and what conditions it needs and tell them what your garden is like and what problem you're trying to solve or what what your design is, what your vision for your garden is, and get some advice from them. And then talk to the master gardeners in your area as well. The master gardeners will have a lot of tips on how to make your garden look wonderful and be healthy and happy. And and do you have maybe a social media um, type, type of thing, maybe Facebooks and things like that that, uh, that you keep? Well, we do actually have a Gardening from a Hammock Facebook page that you can look for. There's also Master Gardener sites on Facebook. There's probably one for your local area that you can consult. Um, there's a, a website, not a website, there's a Facebook page called Garden um, Gardenaholics. Gardenaholics. Um, <laughs> I'm a plantaholic myself. I want to go out and buy one of everything and stick <laughs> it in my garden. So, uh, you know, I was talking about impulse buying earlier. It's really dangerous. So I have to oh, be yes. very careful. <laughs> so there's all kinds of very interesting sites on Facebook that you can go to and join and get more information about gardening in your area. And, and I guess the, the main thing is get, get the right plant um, and put it in the right air, area uh, in the, the key, garden. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and make sure your garden is healthy. Start with the good soil, add lots of compost regularly, and put the right plants in the right place. You're right. Yeah, and and, you, and look, read the tag, because the tag will tell you if it's going to get six foot or whether it's going to get two foot. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's a good point. You know, a lot of us only know the common names, but it's really important to know the botanical names. Uh, for example, um, Shasta, not Shasta Daisy, there, there's all kinds of plants that have maybe 20 different common names. So you go into the nursery and you say, I want such and such a plant. And they'll go, well, do you want the two-foot variety or the six-foot variety? (laughs) So it's important to know the botanical name that will get you the exact right plant that you've researched and that is right for your conditions. And and, and quite quite often now you get the little QR codes, which, if you're lucky, will take you to a page that tells you a little more about how to grow that particular plant. Yeah, and that would be useful, wouldn't it? Oh, if yes. You can get that information. So yes. long as it doesn't take you down direct to the PR page for the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think that's probably about all, all we've got uh, time for this morning. Um, well, happy gardening, Kate. Oh, well, thank you. Um, because we're, we're kind of at the end of the show. Um, but but th- thank you for um, being part of this, Dan. I think everybody should aspire to not just having a low maintenance garden, but taking the time to sit in a garden and enjoy it because that's why we build gardens in the first place isn't it exactly relax sit back admire your garden maybe think about what you can change but take the time to enjoy it to smell the roses yeah um okay well that um that's about all we've got time for this morning um but but to say thank thank you dan it's been a great chat um thank thank you Kate. Thank you um, for listening to the Master Gardener Hour this morning. Um, We will be back next week with another show talking all about gardens and gardenings. Have a good garden week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.